So a couple of things before we get going with the uh, Jonah, part two of Jonah, is uh, I just want to check in with some principles about biblical community. We haven't had a series that's dealt with community in a while. And if there's certain things in in the life of a church that if you haven't gotten to them in a sermon series, you just got to mention them every now and then. It's like it's like going to it for a checkup to the doctor. And so uh, there's a couple principles that I want to remind us of, and these aren't related to anything in particular that's going on in our church right now. These are just every now and then you just got to say them. So we make sure we remember. And and that's this community, biblical community, like the, uh, uh, a family of faith is such an incredible gift from God. Spectacular gift from God. And many of us have been ministered to by the community of faith. Sometimes the community of faith has been God's very expression of his love toward us. When we were in a spot where we had need, people showed up and they helped us out. And that was God's grace to us. And we're told in 1 John four twelve that no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, the love of God is made manifest through the love of the brethren which means that there are moments where God reveals his deepest love to us through the community. However, here's the point. With all that said, here's the point. The family of faith in the Christian community is not primarily for me to receive from, but to give to. Okay, and that's a really important thing to remember because when God uses the community to give to me, then it's really easy for me to get to a place where I start to put expectations on the community of what the community should give to me. And when that happens, then I'm replacing the community. I'm putting the community in God's place. I'm expecting that the provider is the community instead of God being the provider. And it puts us in a codependent place where it's no good. I expect things of you. You expect things of me. We expect things of the church. And if it falls short of that, we're frustrated. Where the scriptures clearly say that Christ is our all in all. Amen? He's got us. He's got us. Anything we need He's got us. And when Jesus, when God made Adam and he said it's not good for Adam to be alone, that was for one reason. Because Adam, by himself, couldn't reveal the glory of God. Everything was made in God's image and creation. And every day it said, God said, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. Because only male and female together are in the image of God because only when there's two of us can we actually love one another and reveal the glory of God. So the the whole point of the community, the whole point of fellowship is that it gives us a place to practice the love that we're receiving from God. So what that means is when I walk into relationships with other brothers and sisters, if I feel a gap in my soul of like, man, I'm feeling like I need more. You know, there's a tendency at times in me, and again, this isn't attached to anything in particular right now at Parker Ford Church. This is just tune-up. This tune-up. But there's this thing that can happen in me when I walk into a, a situation with other people where I might be in a place of need. And there's that part of me that wants a little more, feels like I need more. I need more from the community. And in that spot, it should tell us two things. First of all, there's more of God for me to experience. God's love has more for me. Because if I feel like I need more, guess what? He can fill it. He can fill it, which means I got to dig deep in my relationship with God and I got to find him because he wants to fill it. You know, he wants to give me what I need and I got to press into my relationship with God instead of being resentful or frustrated with a lack of things working right in relationships with others. Instead, I press into my relationship with God and say, I know you're enough. You're more than enough. Fill me. 
fill me right now, God. Second thing is, is when there's a gap, it means there's probably a call on me to help fill that gap for other people. This is where I begin to express and exercise the love of God. We have this thing that happens every now and then called PFC Next Conversations, where we have people sit around in circles and just talk about their experience at Parker Ford and vision and stuff like that. We haven't had one in a little while. We'll have to have one again soon. Um, and uh, the, the last one we had, I remember, or one of the last ones we had, we actually asked people, why are you here? What, what kept you staying at Parker Ford? Some new people just asked, like, what kept you here? And this, a single person's name kept coming up. Uh, an actual person from our church said, this person. And you know who it was? There's this guy who used to sing with the praise team and used to be here, even did an internship here a little bit. His name's Scott Logan. Some of you know Scott. You were around while Scott was around. And Scott, there's nothing in particular about Scott that made him, you know, like a great people person or like he wasn't a salesman. He didn't have the right thing to say. This is what Scott had. He had a deep theological conviction that the church was supposed to be a community. And he thought that his job wasn't just to receive, but it was also to give in the community. So Scott, when he would see people he didn't know, he'd walk right up to him, he'd shake their hand and he'd say, hi, I'm Scott. Um, can I do dinner at your house tonight? <laughs> Am I right, Corey? Yeah, 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 right? Uh, Corey is one of those people who was like, yeah, Scott, he roped me in, you know? And what happened was he was a hound, man, and he would invite you to his house, and he'd invite himself to your house, and he didn't really care, and there was definite, it was definitely not about people skills or anything like that. It was just, this is the community of faith. And if I feel like there's a lack of community happening, guess whose job it is to help build that? Mine, you know? And so we'd engage. And we have this weird thing that's happened over the years at Parker Ford. Parker Ford used to be a church that, that everyone knew each other because it was a small community over on Bethel Church Road where it, would, it was an agricultural community. Everybody knew each other, you know? And if a new family came in, it'd be like once a year, and they'd get totally wrapped up by the family, you know? And everybody would jump on them. But then something happened. We did this replant. We moved over here. People stepped out in faith and built this building. And Josh and I both came at the same time, and we did transition of a whole bunch of stuff. And then a bunch of people showed up all at once, you know, in, in a few years, you know? And, and, and what happened is in that process, it was like way too much for the community to just embrace everyone. And then everyone who was new was looking around being like, Who's welcoming who and inviting each other over? Because everyone's new. And yet not everybody knew that because it wasn't a church plant. It seemed like everybody must have been here. And there's this moment where it's like, what's going on? And in that spot, Scott arose as a hero from Christ who just said, I'm brand new and I don't really care who's supposed to be doing what, but this is Christian community, so I'm coming to your house, you know? And he just did this thing and it was really good. And I would invite you to take courage, great faith, perfect love drives out fear. Don't have insecurities you are in a family of faith here and Christ is your perfect love and will provide everything you need. Take great courage in his love and make efforts to invest into the relationships and people around you. Okay, that's point number one in our pre-sermon points. Point number two, don't worry, I cut the sermon <laughs> from two hours to one hour. So I would not do that with the smell of barbecue over there. Um, Point number two is a much more simple point, is when we go to invest and to encourage others, we need to remember we have one job, connect people to Jesus, help connect people to Jesus. It's not my job to change people, not my job. That gets me in danger quick. Sometimes I have to over talk because I'm trying to make sure you understand my point or I'm trying to control a situation to make sure the community's going the way I need it to go. That stuff's all junk. 
We don't change each other. We push each other toward Christ. And, and sometimes the misnomer is, is that I have to have something, I have to have Bible knowledge or I have to have a special skill in order to help others. That's a lie too. It's all Jesus work. My job, man, if all I can do is smile, pat you on the back, say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. That is awesome. If what I do is say, how can I pray for you? Oh, that's the best thing I can do is how can I pray for you? And there isn't a person in this church who can't pray for another person in this church. And all of us are valuable assets to the kingdom of God. And every single one of us is important players in this church. And it's not because we have this skill or this gift. It's because Jesus works through his body, the church. And he calls us all to engage in that community, not to be insecure, to step in and say, I don't have to figure out the right way to do this. I don't have to have all sorts of Bible knowledge. I don't have to have that. All I have to do is say, how can I help you connect with Jesus more? What do you need prayer for? You know, I'll be praying for you. That's point number two, okay? Those are the two community points. That's pre-sermon stuff, just to check up. That's the stethoscope and the blood pressure thing and all that. That's how we need to be looking at the body of Christ together, all right? Now, we're going to turn over to Jonah chapter 2. This is the beginning of, or this is number two in our four-part series on Jonah. And you know how we do when we read the word We stand to honor God and his word. So you can stand with me in chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start to read. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You can have a seat. Let's pray for a second. God, right now, I ask that the words of this scripture would be alive in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, uh, what does it take for us to get to a place of prayer? To really pray. I don't mean like, you know, just the whatever prayer. But what's it take for me to be in a place of prayer? In a mode of prayer? In a life of prayer? What does it take? There's one command. One command in all of the scripture. One time in the entire New Testament where the word devoted is used as a command to the church to devote yourself to something. It's Colossians 4.2. Devote yourself to 
prayer, being watchful and thankful. One time we are given a command by God via the Apostle Paul what to give our lives to, wholehearted devotion to something one time, and is to devote ourselves to prayer. What does it take for Christians to get to a place where we live out that command, where we give ourselves to a life of prayer? Prayer is not an easy thing to just muscle up. Prayer is not an easy attitude to just take on. It's not an easy spirit to just create inside of ourselves. We struggle because what prayer is, is prayer is about things that are unseen instead, about things, instead of things that are seen. And prayer is about dependence on someone else instead of dependence on myself. Prayer is about intangibles. Prayer goes against common wisdom and human wisdom. Prayer is something deeper. And it's hard to get there. And what does it take for us to get there? Well, we know what it took Jonah to get there. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. (laughs) How far did Jonah have to go before he prayed, man? How about it? I love this thing because, you know, like God was speaking to Jonah. The whole reason that Jonah was on the run is because he didn't want to hear from God. Right. I mean, he, he heard something and he's like, I'm not interested in hearing that. So I'm going to bounce. And he takes off and he is running from God. Then on the boat, when all the craziness is going on in the storm, do you remember what the captain came down? He had to shake Jonah and he said the same thing to Jonah that God said to Jonah, arise, wake up, you know. And then what does he say to Jonah? Anybody remember what the captain says to Jonah? Pray to your Pray to your God. Each man prayed to his God, except Jonah, who was sleeping down in the bottom. And he says, wake up and pray to your God. And does Jonah pray? No. He doesn't pray. I wonder what would have happened if Jonah had prayed. Instead, it's still about Jonah. And he's like, throw me overboard. You know? This is pretty dramatic. It really was. I mean, when you think about it, maybe he was saving people and he probably was. He felt bad. I wonder if he could have just like asked God. All right, my bad. I'll turn around, you know, but he doesn't. He doesn't really pray like that. You know, he says, throw me overboard. I am still not going to turn to Jesus because of those stinking Ninevites. He's holding on to this thing. They toss him overboard. He prays. At some point, he prays. And he tells us how this works. Okay? It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Listen to to verse 2 here. Saying, and this is what he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Okay? In the place of distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. If you have an NIV, what's it say there? Instead of Sheol. It says, out of the, somebody say, out of the grave, right? Okay, so out of the grave. Sheol and the grave are the same thing. Some people believe that Jonah actually died um, here, and that's a, a legitimate interpretation of Scripture. There's nothing in the Scripture that makes us necessarily think that he didn't die. One of the reasons why people think that Jonah did die was because when Jesus says the only sign you'll see is the sign of Jonah, and that is to reflect him dying and resurrecting, some people believe Jonah actually died and, and that God brought him back to life. And 
Who knows? That's not in conflict with anything the scriptures say. Uh, the typical interpretation is that, you know, that when he was swallowed by the fish, that actually saved him from dying. Um, I don't know. It doesn't really matter because when you're in the pit of despair, whether you're dead or not dead, you almost can't tell sometimes. You know what I mean? You've been in that place of complete distress where you almost wish you would die. You've been there. And that place where it seems like every part of your life, except maybe your body, is already dead and feels dead. Whether it's metaphorical death or whether it's physical death or whether it's spiritual or emotional or mental death, out of that place, we figure out how to pray. Most of us have learned how to pray in that spot. When I ask you um, where were the most profound moments of prayer in your life, most likely for many of us, some of those great moments of prayer are going to be in places of massive distress where we cried out to God. Out of the grave, out of the pit, you know. Well, there's this awesome thing that happens. The communication lines open up. Because, you know, the whole point is that he didn't want to hear the voice of God. So he's been running away from hearing God's voice. It's been like, this is like the kid, la, 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 la. You know, that's the way Jonah's been. I'm not going to listen, la, 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 la. And he's going away from God. And what happens in this moment is that he doesn't really have a choice now. He goes into the pit. And as he's completely being swallowed up by the ocean, he cries out to God. And he opens his voice and the communication lines open back up. And as soon as he does, he says, you heard my voice. You heard my voice. He knows that God is hearing him. And listen to his response. First, he says, uh, God answered me. And then he says, and you heard my voice. Was God not talking throughout this whole time? Had God gone silent on Jonah? Come on, help me. No, God was the one communicating. Jonah was the one who wouldn't listen and who wouldn't talk. But when Jonah gets in the place of distress, he starts to talk. And all of a sudden, he can hear God. You answered me. See, most of the time, if we hear God or not, it's not about whether God's speaking. It's about whether we're listening. And whether we want to hear what God actually has to say. Because God, lots of times, we're not tuned to his frequency because, God, I'm praying and I'm not hearing you. Well, he's like, yeah, I'm not speaking what it is. I'm not speaking on the same frequency you're listening to because you're not trying to listen to me. You're trying to get me to say what you want me to say. And I'm not going to say it because I love you too much and because I'm God. And I need to continue to stay God or things aren't going to go well, you know. And so I'm going to speak this way. And when you get your heart adjusted and your ears adjusted, you'll hear me, you know? And I don't know if you've been in that spot, that spot of despair where it's like, oh, and you've been frustrated. And then finally you cry out to God. And in the middle of that, there's something from the scriptures that just comes alive. Or you're talking to your friend and they say something and you're like, boom, there it is. And all of a sudden you're hearing God again. Man, I heard him. But it wasn't that God started speaking again. It's that I started hearing again because I got squeezed in that place of darkness in the grave, you know, where God took out of me my arrogance and my pride, you know, and he started changing me. See, what ends up happening is if you listen to this prayer, it's a spectacular prayer of Jonah because most of this prayer actually has a tone of thanksgiving to it. His whole attitude changes. 
His attitude going into this time. He, here's the thing. Jonah was in such a place of entitlement and resentment. He was like, I'm a prophet of Israel. Those Assyrians up there in Nineveh, those guys are, are just absolute waste of space. They are evil. And he stands in a place of judgment of them, which is entitlement. I don't have to listen to God because of what they did to me. He holds on to his resentment, and therefore he won't listen to the voice of God because he's holding on to his own rights. But when he's drowning in an ocean, all of a sudden his rights and his resentment and his entitlement, they don't make much sense anymore. All that matters is that God saves him. And when we get back to that basic place of need, all of our other junk, all of our other rights, just gone. We're like, God, I need you. And he's like, I've been here the whole time and I'm happy to save you right now. And he does. And our hearts turn from resentment to joy. And our hearts turn from a place of entitlement and arrogance to a place of just thanksgiving and gratitude. It's like, thank you for what I have. You've been at that place before? I know I've been at that place where I haven't been real appreciative of what's going on in my life and I'm looking for more and I'm kind of materialistic and I'm hungry for more. And then like I get humbled and broken and I'm like, wow, I'm just thankful. I'm just really thankful. I remember when I had knee surgery and all sorts of stuff going on with my legs. I couldn't, basically couldn't walk for like almost nine months. Couldn't take a shower for I don't know how long because all the junk they were doing to my knee. You know how awesome it was to take a shower when I finally did? I had no idea how great a shower was until I didn't have it for a while. And when we don't sense the presence of God, most of the time it's because we're living in our own little world doing our own thing until he strips us of some of that. And then we remember Oh man, you were there the whole time and I just wasn't grateful for the basics that are in my life. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so keep going. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Hey, are we ever driven away from the sight of God? No, let's, with authority. Is it, you're, you're the people of God. He's faithful. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. There's nowhere you can go where his eyes can't find you. Can you ever get past the sight of God? It's a little better. We can't get past God's sight. And you know, there's this amazing thing though that, that Jonah says, he says, I, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Have you felt that way? You're outside of the sight of God. I have felt that way. I never believed that theologically, but I, but it feels that way where I'm like, I'm kind of beyond where God's looking, you know, (laughs) like I'm sure God's good and faithful, but I'm living outside of that right now. And, and I felt that, but it's all a lie. God's right there. And he's right with me. And he sees the whole thing. And it feels like he's super distant, but he's not. He's right there. But what happens when we hit the pit and we get all the way down to the bottom and we have all that shame and all that junk from not following God and then we find out that God still loves us? Then this is what happens right here. The end of verse 4. Yet, what a great word. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. I shall again look upon your holy temple. What does the temple represent? Jesus tells us what the temple is. What is the temple? House of prayer. Thank you. Bam. Gonna go, Elsie. 
prayer warrior right here. And uh, house of prayer, this is what it is. It's the place where heaven and earth meet. That's where God decides, I want a place to connect with my people. This is my home. This is where we talk. And you see what happens when he's down in the pit and this, it's, his life is getting squeezed out of him. And he remembers, he, he, he starts praying and the communication lines open up and he, and he wanders down deep, 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 deep down into the pit. And there he finds that God is still with him. Something happens. And what happens is, is he's like, oh, I'm back. I'm back home with God. I will be in your temple again. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where it hasn't been good with God. You haven't been tight with God and you've kind of been wandering or whatever. But then you have that moment, the moment where like he reveals himself in a special way to you again and you see him. And there's something massively confidence building about that moment where you're like, I was not nearly as far from God as I thought. All I needed was to hear his voice. We're back. We're back. Like here I am. And the relationship just takes off. And there's, there's commitment and resolve and confidence in him that says, He's got me. You're, you've had a, a friendship or a relationship that's going to the brink and back. It's been stretched hard. You've heard Josh and I talk before about the early years of our friendship. And they were not fun. You know, they were difficult years. Um, you know, Josh just said we're going back to Chicago um, in the next couple of days here and praying over Chicago. Well, Chicago has all sorts of fond memories for us. But if we went to a certain dorm room in uh, in Dreyer, the dorm of Chicago, there would be some bad memories for Josh and I in our friendship. You know, it was difficult times. And what happened is over the years, God stretched that friendship where we went to the brink with each other, had difficult conversations, things we completely disagreed on, struggled, and yet when we got to the end of it, realized there was still commitment to that friendship, that we would get beyond it. And over the years, what happens is, now we look for the tension in the friendship because we know that God's going to do something awesome in that tension. And we're not worried about whether or not it's going to annoy us. We're not worried about whether or not this friendship's going to last. It's been to the brink and back. So much more in my relationship with God is when I can start to get really honest with God and I can just pour it out with him. And I'm not afraid because I've been to the pit and God was there and he still loves me. And he builds confidence inside of us to just be real with him. And that's what happens with Jonah here. He gets all the way to the bottom of the pit and he realizes that, you know, God's still here and I can trust him in ways that I didn't realize I could. Move on with me to verse five to seven. He says, the waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Picture that. The seaweed wrapped all around your head. This is like, yeah, any of you health nuts eat kelp? You know? This is like not the dried up kelp that you eat. This is like big wet kelp wrapped all around your face, you know? And the seaweed entangling you. And the light up in the up in the waters above you gets less and less and less. And he says, the bars of the deep close over me. And I'm at the root of the mountains. That's deep. The root of the mountains, he says here. He says, the waters closed in over me, take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. See that thankfulness, that gratitude? Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. 
Something happens to us in that deep place where we adjust what we remember and what we're thinking of. Speaking of Chicago, I was like, it was my uh, freshman or sophomore year in college. And I'm just going to show you um, just how stupid I really am. Okay. We were walking down. I was, I was walking down Riverside Walk on, uh, along Chicago. If you've been to Chicago, you know, uh, we're behind the Sheraton over by the, the, uh, Tribune building, right by the bridge off of Michigan Ave and walking toward the lake, toward Lake Michigan where the, where the river hits the lake. And, uh, we're walk, walking along this riverside. And one of my friends said to me, it was like November in Chicago. Chicago River's freezing cold at this point. He said, I dare you to jump in the water. Never thought about it. Just jumped. So stupid. I can't even tell you how stupid it was. So, so stupid. It was like a, I don't know, like six, ten foot drop the wall and just walls all the way down the river. And then like, it wasn't until I hit the freezing cold water and popped back up that for the first time I thought, how do I get back out? (laughs) Never thought about it. All it was was pure like, bravado, machismo, like the ego and like the guys jump, jump, boom, you know, never thought about it. And then I had, I ended up in first service. I never finished the story. Everyone's like, what happened? I'm like, I died. Hey, this is Jonah. I came back to life. There's a fish got me. It was, um, what actually happened was I had to swim about 50 meters. I finally saw, I was like looking around and your eyes adjust and you start looking for different things than you would normally look for. I never realized that 50 meters down there, there was a ladder. I wish I would have thought of that ahead of time. Then I would have waited till I got down near the ladder. But the problem was, is I also didn't realize that it was a boat ladder. So it was up far enough out of the water that it was really difficult to get up to. But I finally was able to get up to it and pull myself out, drenched in the middle of November in Chicago. This is, yeah, I should not be a leader here. Okay. Um, yeah. What was the point? No, the point is, is that when I'm standing up there and I'm on my own two feet and everything seems warm and solid, I'm not looking for escape routes, you know, but when I'm in the freezing cold water instantly, I am looking for my deepest need to be met right now. And I am desperately trying to find a ladder. And when we get into that place of despair, we start to realize how much we need God. When we have a total loss of control, when we're in that situation where there's this disease that's totally all over my life, or there's this relationship where this person's running away from me and their heart's turning away from me, and there's nothing I can do about it. When I'm in that place of deep pain and there's nothing that I can do, it's in that moment when everything's shaking and when everything's closing in on me that I reach out for the most solid thing I know. And that's when Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. And he should have been remembering the whole time. I mean, he's running from the Lord. But that's when he remembered the Lord. He didn't just remember that there was a God. He remembered his God and his need for him. And he remembered, I'm his kid and he's my God. And he's the only thing that's ever taken care of me. He created me. He sustained me. He's the one who provides for me. And he remembers and he cries out to God. Remember is one of the most important words in all the scripture and one of the most underrated ones. Very, very important word throughout scripture is remember. God tells the Israelites all the time, remember that I brought you up out of Egypt. Remember that I parted the seas. Remember that I fed you with manna in the wilderness. Remember what I did. Remember, remember, remember. You get to the New Testament and even before Jesus dies on the cross, he breaks the bread and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember. 
Remember that I was faithful in the past. Remember I'll be faithful in the future. And maybe you'll remember that today you don't stand on your own two feet. You need me. Pray and be grateful because I'm here and I haven't gone anywhere. It's only you that has. So remember and return. Another really important word is return. Remember and return. And so Jonah does, but it takes him getting into the pit to remember because his eyes have been adjusted the wrong way and his ears have been listening to the wrong stuff and his heart hasn't been in the right posture. But now when he's squeezed, when he's back to being a desperate little child, then he remembers there's a God who cares, who loves, and who provides. And so he cries out, and it's awesome. It's awesome what God does. All right, so here it is. This is his commentary then. He gives us commentary. This is where he tells us at the end of it all, what actually happened. Here's the lesson learned. He's, this is like Jonah writing a commentary at the end of his prayer. He's making a declaration, such a spectacular declaration. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. Listen to that again. Listen carefully. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. If you have the NIV right now, it says they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So God has abundant grace for us. God has a hope that's found in his steadfast love. But I forfeit that grace. And I push aside my ability to receive God's steadfast love. Why? Because I'm intercepting God's love and interrupting God's love by shortcutting it with my sense of control. So now when I'm sad today, instead of running to the arms of the Lord, I run to whatever my vice is. Today when that person does something that hurts me and my justice meter goes, instead of trusting God and forgiving them and asking him to wash me, instead I hold on to anger and resentment and it's my idol. When, when I don't feel good about myself and instead of going to God and receiving forgiveness, I look around and think about who I'm better than. That's my idol. And those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that they could be receiving. They forfeit the, that hope of God's steadfast love that's with me no matter what. And I don't experience the fullness of it because I interrupt God's love in my life by shortcutting it with my own idols. And Jonah was holding on to his idols. He's not talking about Nineveh and their false gods. He's talking about himself and his own pride and his resentment and all of these things that he's holding on to that make him feel like he's in control. And I will, those Ninevites, you know, I'm never, I, they could repent and turn and they could find life, but I'm not going to let them. I got my card over them. I'm the prophet and I'm not going to speak to them because guess what they did to me. So stick it in your ear, buddy. I'm not going to do it. That's his idol. That's his idol. And God squeezes him until he says, I've clung to worthless idols and I forfeited the hope that was mine. My life was messed up because I wasn't in the right frame of mind because I was living based on those false idols. And we all struggle with it. I struggle with it all the time. All the time. This is part of what community of faith is about. Every morning, man, there's the war of when I get up and the word of God and, and the spirit of God are calling out for me to join him on a couch in my house. But so is my iPhone that's asking me to answer a bunch of emails and, and figure out my lists for the day and, and serve all the idols that I have. 
You know, there's those moments when, you know, I, I just want to do what I feel is, is what I want to happen in my life right now. And God's kind of slow with making that happen. So I'm going to jump a little ahead and make sure that happens instead of trusting him. Listen to David in Psalm 37, man. This is awesome right here. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite chapters of scripture in the entire Bible. I would definitely urge that you just dig into this chapter, but we're going to get to verse nine here. Just look at uh, Psalm 37, nine. The evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Direct opposite of, you know, if I go after this false idols and the momentary satisfaction, then I forfeit God's grace. But if I wait on God, when I'm hurting, instead of running to my vice, if I sit there in my pain and cry out to God and wait for him to heal me, I'm going to inherit the land. Do you know what that means? That means that when I go into that relationship with my family or when I go over into work in that difficult environment, when I go into my neighborhood, that I am going to go with the authority of the living God who owns that land. And I'm going to walk in with great confidence to say, this is what God wants in this situation. And this is what God's going to get in this situation because I have waited on him and I'm not moving on my own authority. I'm not trying to make things happen with my own muscles or with my own brain. I am trusting in the living God and he's healing me, and he's declaring what he wants for this situation. So I walk in with great confidence, inheriting the land. In Romans 8, we're told that all of creation waits with eager expectation, groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. You know what that means? It means that the world around us is waiting for people who will trust God with their lives that will live as sons and daughters of the living God. And when they live as sons and daughters of the living God, the earth is literally crying out. The land is crying out. Say, God, please, the rocks are crying out. God, raise up men and women who will trust you and who will walk with your authority because there's havoc being wreaked all over this land. And we need some people to step up with authority who stand in the power and the presence of God who are filled with his love, who can act appropriately in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in gentleness, in faithfulness, and in self-control. I don't know about you, but I could use an abundance of all of those things of the Spirit. And what it takes is not forfeiting the grace of God's Spirit in my life, of his love, the hope that can bring by me engaging in him instead of shortcutting it with my own idols. And that's the principle that this prophet pulls out from what it is that God has done. And this is the way it ends. The story ends here with, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I love that the story ends with him being vomit, you know, vomit. Here, you can go back onto the land now, but you're going to stink like puke. (laughs) I love it. It was perfect. Funny thing is, is the fish obeys God when Jonah wouldn't. Animals have to obey God. We don't have to. Which is why our prayers are powerful. Because we can engage with our hearts. We're not just robots. We're not just machines. We can say no like Jonah did, but we don't have to go to the pit before we pray. 
We don't have to, to be resentful and have God squeeze it out of us in order to get to a place of thanksgiving. We can just decide today that we're his kids and that we need him and that everything that we have is more than enough. And we can start to say thank you. And we can bless God. And we can say, I'm your child today. And even if it feels like I could be in control of my day, I don't want to be in control of my day. So I'm submitting to you. Take control of this whole situation. Show me what you want. Whatever it is, whether it's talking to Ninevites, forgiving that person who has wronged me, giving up this thing that I don't want to give up that's my little pet peeve, whatever it is, I don't really care. You're dad, you're God. And I don't want to forfeit the grace that could be mine. I don't want to forfeit the hope of steadfast love. I want to enjoy all you have for me today. So be my God, be my God. And he wraps it all up. His prayer wraps it all up with this one phrase there. What's the last phrase of that prayer in verse nine? Somebody say it a little louder. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I need to be saved today. And saved isn't just something that happens when you pray once in your life so that God doesn't send you to hell and sends you to heaven. Saved is something that happens when I am consumed by my sin and I need God's help to be left alone from that, to overcome it, to be broken from the bondage. That today, my mind wants to go to places that aren't good and God can save me from it. That's the sanctification of salvation. And he wants to save us today. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We need his salvation today. I want you to say it with me. And you know, when, when you say to your kid, you need to say you're sorry and you need to mean it. Today, we got to say together, salvation belongs to the Lord. And we need to mean it. That we need to be saved today. Not saved from hell today. That's in the future, you know. Not saved from what I did in the past. That's already done. But whatever's in front of me today, the battle I'm going to face, whether life is going to be about me or not, I need salvation today. And salvation belongs to the Lord. If you believe it, say it with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray.